Hi there, welcome to Glenlyden Baptist Church's podcast network. We're glad you can join us today. If you'd like more information on the church, please visit us on our website, www.gebc.org.nz. We hope you enjoy the pod. Uh, kia ora koutou. Um, it's my first time here, so I'm going to take the liberty of introducing myself properly uh, or formally, if that's okay, if you'll bear with me. Um, but before that, let's just pray. Living Lord Jesus, as we draw near to you now, would you draw near to us? Surprise us again as you surprise so many others in those sacred days between resurrection and ascension to heaven. Amen. Kame ihu koa te huarahi koa te pono koa te ora e kore rawa te tahitangata ki te matua ki te kahore a hau. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. I'm going to take a little bit of time to do, um, to introduce myself formally in the native way of Aotearoa. Ko Malayo Tama, toku maunga, ko Tailingo Malu, toku awa, ko Moana Nui Akiwa, toku Moana ko e New Zealand te waka, ko no hamo aho, ko Ngati Hamoa, Ngati Hainamana, me Ngati Tonga Nga Iwi. Um, I'm from that pristine, beautiful island nation of Samo. <laughs> Woo! Let's get a choo in here. <laughs> and um, the lands that actually go up towards the, um, the slope that goes up towards the lands where my mother's family are from is called Malayotama. And the river that runs through our village alongside where my father's family lands are, where they swim and our forefathers before us swim and bathe, is called Tailingo Malua. And the bridge between that beautiful island nation and this beautiful island nation is the Pacific Ocean. And over that ocean I flew here on that great waka in New Zealand. <laughs> I'm of Samoan, Chinese, and Tongan descent. Ko te pani o mata oho te maunga te ru nei toku mākau, ko te mānu kanako hotu rua te moane mohene na aku māharahara, e mihi ana ki ngā tohu ngeho ngā haua mānangere, e noho nei au ko Māngere Bridge Baptist e whare karakia. In this land of Aotearoa, the mountain that draws my heart is Māngere Mountain. And the ocean where I cast my burdens is the Manukau Harbour. And between that slope, that peak of Mangere Mountain, and that Moana Manukau Harbour is my Farikarakia, where I normally pray on a Sunday, Mangere Bridge Baptist. Ko ihu karaiti tuku kai whakaora, ko te tumuaki arohe mō tamaki makaurau me te taitukara ahau, ko Queen Iriti Awa O. I greet you in that precious name of our common saviour, Christ Jesus. And in him, my ancestors greet you. And so do my parents, Amo Mialii, and also the late Taimi, Leatu Taimi. It's my honour to serve you. As the regional leader for Northern, the churches of both Auckland and Northland. And my name is Rishi. 
I also want to give you greetings from Charles Hewlett, our national leader. Um, um, of the 40,000 odd people who mark themselves as part of the Baptist movement in the last census. And also from Shelley Mutuapuaka, whoop, whoop, good friends of Simon and Susan there, um, who is the chairwoman of our board. So from both her, our board, and our staff, greetings. I also want to give you greetings on behalf of all the churches of Auckland and Northland. There's a hundred of us from the south of Franklin and Waiuku to the north of Douglas Bay and Kaitaia. So on their behalf, I greet you, along with greetings from my own church, Mangere Bridge, who released me to be here with you today. Thank you to Gary and Sarah for this opportunity to bring the word of God today. Today, And it's wonderful to be here as you welcome Simon and his family, Susan, Hannah, Nathaniel and Emily, to be among you, to be part of your church family. Um, so, now I know that you can, um, it's really obvious to you right now that I used to be an adrenaline junkie, a fitness fanatic. You could tell right away, right? In 2011, I embarked on a lifestyle change that allowed me to drop 45 kilograms over nine months and weigh in at my lightest ever as an adult at 78 kilograms and dropped my clothes size to something between a woman's 14 and 12. I was so fit that after my stations training at the gym, I would go for a four-kilometer four walk and then I would do a four-kilometer return jog because my gym session was not enough. My energy was crazy. Um, it was not unusual for me to be exercising or doing something physically six days a week and multiple times a day. Because my, because, and you should also know that I used to be a key youth leader, and so they used to also keep me quite active. And when I returned to New Zealand in 2011, I discovered Zumba. Does anyone here know Zumba? Yes. We used to be very good friends. Alas, no more. <laughs> My favourite exercise day was a Monday, when I could go to an advanced Zumba class at 5pm, followed by another fast-paced Zumba class in another suburb at 6.30, followed by our family basketball game at 8pm. And I would run most of the 45 minutes. My sisters hated me, because mixed team, you only, you know, you want to sub, you want the, everyone to sub off and get a run, right? Not me. <laughs> um, so... Um, if it wasn't Monday, sometimes I'd supplement that Zumba class by going climbing at least two steep slopes on Mangere Mountain to make sure I could get that burn. I was pretty fit. I enjoyed the dopamine, the activity, and the beautiful small clothes. Um, today's text is from 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27. I'm reading from the NIV. Feel free to look for that in your Bibles or scroll to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that would not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. That was so short. Let me read it for you again. <laughs> and maybe you're still looking for it. Verse 24. Do you not know that in a race 
All the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Whew. It's a little warm up here. Don't worry if I start to sweat. I'm having a bit of a workout up here. This passage is written with the backdrop of the Isthmian Games, the equivalent of our Commonwealth Games. It was the second biggest games after the Olympics. The event was held every two years, 10 miles outside the city of Corinth. 10 miles, or 15 kilometers, from the church community Paul is writing to. These games brought people from every part of the Mediterranean to compete or just watch. It was the sporting event of the year, drawing the empire's best talent. Athletes would compete for, in foot races, broad jumping, discus throwing, wrestling, boxing, gymnastics, and equestrian contests. They would compete fiercely, fearlessly, each striving for the Isthmian crown, a wreath of wild celery. Winners would receive a lifetime exemption from paying taxes and exemption from serving in the military. They would also receive free tuition at one of their prestigious universities. Statues on themselves would be built and placed along the road that led to the site of the games. But the real prize was that salary wreath awarded to the winner at the end of the games. A salary wreath, I know. The name of that salary wreath is a laurel or a laurel crown. It was every athlete's dream to be crowned with a laurel crown. In our text, Paul is using this metaphor to talk about the gospel, about the life of faith, about sharing the gospel so that others can be saved. Using the image of a race or competition, but the focus is not on being the one and only winner. The focus is on running the best that we can so that there is no reason why we couldn't be that winner. The focus is actually on how each of us run the race. So let's unpack that text a bit. Verse 24. Do you not know that in the race all runners run but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Is there anyone here who is competitive? Maybe a golf pro or two. <laughs> Maybe some mourning the loss of the Chiefs last night's final. Or some celebrating the win with Canterbury or another maroon team who won midweek in the state of origin. Or maybe some of you have spent some sleepless nights following the ashes. Or hoping to secure one of the 2,000 remaining tickets to next week's game for the Warriors. Maybe some of you are a sports person. Or like me, was a sports person throughout your youth. Or are there some here who can't wait to become competitive or a professional athlete, rugby league player, boxer? Is anyone here in that area? No? There's some here that dreamed of that? Okay. <laughs> so here's a few things to note. Firstly, you can't win the race unless you are in the race. You have to be in the race, you have to show up for the race. Take your place at the starting line and you have to start to race. 
Secondly, you can't serve God as a spectator, someone on the sidelines, nor can you serve God by remaining in the starter blocks. To serve God or to have a life of faith, you have to be in the race, running, moving, active, physically and or spiritually. Third, it is impossible to be victorious without moving forward towards the finish line. God cannot say, well done, good and faithful servant, until the servant first does well. Well done requires first a well do. This means we cannot be stagnant or stationary. We need to be growing, training, being discipled, reading, serving in ministry, giving, being a missionary in our homes or schools or in our neighborhoods or Bangladesh. Fourth, to be victorious requires us to cross the finish line first. Crossing the finish line means to spend ourselves to our fullest ability, to run the fastest we can or the furthest we can and not give up, to leave it all on the field, to go hard and not have reserves at the end, to play the full 80 minutes, to give it all, whatever all is for you. To press on towards the line means consistent faithfulness to whatever the Lord has asked of you. Is that being a faithful son or daughter, a faithful friend, a faithful person in your schoolwork or studies, faithful in your work or ministry, a faithful spouse or a faithful parent, faithful in your giving of time, money, prayers, energy and passion? Are you pressing on to the finish line? Fifth, what is the prize that we are pressing towards? Paul says in verse 18, What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel I may offer it free of charge. I may become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. And in Philippians 3 he expresses it, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize is Christ. To know him and to be known of him and to share him so that others will also know him, his love and his kindness and goodness. The prize is living a full and meaningful life and being part of God's great story of redeeming our world, bringing reconciliation to our nation and our neighborhoods and restoring our families to fullness of life in Christ Jesus. When we run our race, whatever it may be, let us strive for the prize. We run to receive a crown of righteousness. It is not a crown of riches, but a crown that we will receive when we finish the race. Verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. What? discipline does an athlete do in order to be at his or her best form? How does an all-black or black fern prepare for a World Cup? Any person who wants to win has to adhere to a strict regime, strict in eating, strict in training, strict in rest, strict in relaxation, strict in their self-control. This requires a great deal of inner strength. The discipline means that they must not give in to their impulses or indulge themselves, they must go without in order to be fit to go after the prize. 
To compete requires agony. A tremendous effort has to be put forth in order to win. Do you realise something? All the preparation happens before coming to the starting blocks. Before you start the race, before the match, the training and the discipline happen because you know you are going to compete. So you make yourself worthy to compete. Before you even take your place at the starting line, you must first be ready. At the Isthmian Games, the most prized accolade or a recognition was not the lifetime exemption from paying taxes. We would like that, wouldn't we? <laughs> Nor was it the exemption of serving in the military. Now, we kind of don't get this one in New Zealand, but I used to live in Cyprus and throughout the Middle East, it's actually compulsory for all the young men to serve in the army the first two years of a high school. So um, this winning this meant that you didn't have to serve in the army. I mean, to this day, they still require this. Um, nor was it receiving free tuition at one of their most prestigious universities. Come on, these are Greek universities of their time. The Yales, the Princetons, the Cambridge, the Oxford, the tech, anyway, tech colleges. You get the idea. Nor was it to have statues of themselves placed along the road that led to the site of the games, like the statue of that great Westie Michael Jones at Eden Park. These were all pretty amazing. However, the highest accolade, the most important prize for any athlete at the time that Paul is writing, was to be crowned with a laurel crown. As we heard earlier, a wreath of celery leaves. That crown didn't last long. I mean, how long does celery lettuce or spinach last in your house if it's left on the bench in the middle of summer? Not long. No matter how careful you are, it's not going to last long, right? It may not even make it a couple of weeks, but that is what every athlete of that day aspired and trained for, what every athlete aspired to receive. But for us who believe on Christ Jesus and are running the race of faith, we run to receive a crown of righteousness, a crown that will last forever. So then, we who are disciples, the believers, the followers, the runners, the disciplined ones, the discipline, what discipline will we endure in order to win the eternal crown laid up for us? To be a disciple, to be a disciplined one, requires us to train our minds, to train our bodies, to develop our moral character, to discipline our appetites, our speech, and our priorities. We are not really talking about a physical race. We are talking about a spiritual race. We are talking about how we live, and we are talking about why we live the way that we do. We are reading, are we reading, and studying and practicing the lessons found in our Bible? Are we? I'm, I have every confidence that you are. Are we practicing or living the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control? Are we practicing loving one another as a church, family or community? Sobering words, as Paul writes early in this letter, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to the light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, 
but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. As disciples, the disciplined ones, we may what we build do or do for Christ Jesus, his people and for all creation survive the refining fire and bring him glory and honour. Verse 26. Together, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it a slave so that I have pre after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Every athlete knows what is required in order for them to win. They know the regimen they must follow, the track or the course that they will run. They know the rules of their sport, the plays needed that they must execute with precision in order to win. Every action and reaction has a purpose, has a meaning, and is pushing them closer to the finish line, closer to the prize. Many people, however, do run aimlessly. They blindly climb a ladder to pursue a career, not having determined whether that ladder is perched against the right wall. They don't know whether they are coming or going, but they seem determined to set a record getting there. Or they simply go through the daily cycle of working, eating, sleeping, working, eating, sleeping, working, eating, sleeping, endlessly, on repeat, with no apparent purpose except survival. But we, the disciplined ones, the disciples, must live our lives with purpose and meaning, being purposeful and being mindful, not aimless, but with the end in sight, the goal in mind. Sometimes the day-to-day -day routine can be wearisome. Sometimes we can't see the results of our hard work or our sacrifice, our discipline, our consistency, or our faithfulness. Keep your eye on the prize. Keep the end in sight. Keep the goal in mind. Sometimes when you are on a journey, you can't appreciate how far you have come, how much you have grown, or how much more mature you are, or how much your skills have developed, how much the blessing of God flows in you and through you, or how much more in tune of the Holy Spirit you are. But others can see it, and they can call it out of you. Let us, as the people of God, be quick to encourage one another, quick to call out the fruit of the Spirit we see in one another, encouraging one another on in the faith and onto maturity. Our main aim as believers is maturity, to grow up in the faith, to be more or fully spiritually minded or more or fully otherly mindful, to be concerned with not just ourselves and our family and friends, but to be concerned for our community and neighborhoods, our nation and the world to be concerned for salvation, for the one who does not know, and for the well-being of this creation, our planet. To be concerned with humanity, and to be concerned about creation. A good athlete will also know their opposition. A good boxer will have studied the opponent, studied the competition in order to know how to defeat them. Who is our opposition? What are the things that distract us from achieving maturity? Or who are the people we allow to distract us from our course? It's easy to say the devil. Harder to say sin. Sin distracts us from our maturity. 
or ourselves, we distract ourselves, or the decisions we can make can distract us. But there are some simple ones. Our phones. Our phones distract us. Memes and reels distract us. TikTok distracts us. Gaming distracts us. Netflix and binge watching distracts us. Eating at our time. So much time lost in scrolling. And so much content that can form and inform as well as deform or corrupt our values and beliefs. What will you allow to distract you? Did you see the subtle shift in our text? In the, previous in the previous verses, Paul has been talking about we in plural. But in these verses, he shifts to I, singular. I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer boxing, beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Maturity requires us individually with the help of the Holy Spirit to deal with the things that distract us or hold us back from living fully the lives Jesus wants for us. I strike a blow. I discipline myself so that I'm not disqualified for the prize. In this context, Paul is saying he subdues his passions and he brings his body into subjection. We might ask, into subjection to what? Paul would answer that he is determined to bring his body into subjection to his goal of the spiritual prize that he is pursuing and that he is encouraging these Corinthian Christians as well as us here today to do the same, to be also about the same pursuit. Maturity requires us to be self-controlled disciplined, focused on the f focused and fruitful, not only growing up into maturity, but also encouraging others onto maturity. Have you heard that phrase, we're only as good as our competition? <laughs> this is why so many countries want to play against the All Blacks, the, the best team in the world, so that they can be, get better at rugby. This is why there are test series that put the best in the southern hemisphere against the best in the northern, or why the Breakers and the Warriors play in an Australian competition. The better our fellow competitors are, the better we can become. The better we are in the race, the more mature we are. It spurs on others around us to be as fast, as strong, as vulnerable, as gentle, as generous, as kind, as teachable, as faithful, as calm, as trustworthy, as humble as you are, and more. The Apostle James tells us, blessed is the one who perseveres under the trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Recently, I was talking to a friend about someone we've been trying to help no matter what advice we try to give her, she always has a reason not to take it. Although her own efforts to date have not yielded the result that she has been hoping for and working towards for the last three years of her life. So I said, is she just resting on her laurels? My friend said, she can't. She doesn't have any. Uh, what do you mean, I said, wondering if I didn't understand that phrase properly. You know, English is only my second language. <laughs> she said, a laurel referred to in this idiom or phrase is to do with the ancient Roman games, which we've been talking about today, the wreath of celery leaves. To have a laurel is to say, you have a win. 
to have more than one laurel means that you've won in more than one race or event or discipline. It means that you are accomplished or successful in least the number of events equivalent to the number of laurels that you have. In terms of their career, this person that we're trying to help to land their first role or job did not have any laurels, so she had none to rest on. Now Simon here, he has laurels. <laughs> Glenn Eden is not his first rodeo. He is an experienced and well-respected youth pastor, and you are blessed to have him. Thank you for accepting this call, Simon. Simon has served youth in Aotearoa as well as abroad, both in the Baptist movement and beyond our Baptist movement. He is a huge asset to your faith community and to this neighbourhood. Glen Eden Church, what are your laurels? You as individuals and also as a church community have served the Lord faithfully over many years and you have received many laurels, publicly and privately. You've built up a reputation for loving God, loving his scriptures, loving his church, being passionate for the gospel and serving your community. It is from these pews the passion for Vision West was formed. And through Vision West, or Waka Whakakitenga, did I get that right? Your ministry has spread throughout our nation. Your latest laurel, Manaki Kai, the first social supermarket in Auckland and only the sixth in the country to date. Can I encourage you to keep running the race, to keep your strict regimen, to continue striving to win the prize, to be strict in your training, to get the crown, to continue to run with purpose, to run your whole life personally and collectively into submission to God, that you will, with the help of the Holy Spirit, remain worthy of the prize? Do not rest on your laurels. There is still much more laid up for you. And look, I told Gary this is going to take, my, my sermon was going to be a bit lengthy. Are you guys okay? Are you still with me? I'm going to read some of the texts from Hebrew 11, but there's a lot. Are you guys okay with that? They're <laughs> going, we really want a cup of coffee. <laughs> I'll try to, um, to narrow it down, but man, the word of God is so amazing. So can I encourage you in reading from Hebrews 11 of others like us whom, who have already done so, run that race, not rested on their laurels. Chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe and he exists that, and that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark in the middle of the desert to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and because, became the heir of the righteous. That is keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham. By faith... Oh, there's so much to read. Let me read verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who was... Embraced and promised with and the promise. Wow, by faith, 
Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that you, your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God would, could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did to receive Isaac back from the dead. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed Joseph's sons. By faith, Joseph, when he was at the end, Speaking about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt, gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses. Boy, I have to skip because I know that we're running out of time. Yeah. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what, at verse 32, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised her life again, that there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced years and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sword in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the desert and mountains, living in caves and holes and in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. And yet none of them received what they had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only with us would they be made perfect. Chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. These are our forerunners. These are our tupuna, on whose shoulders we stand. And, we run, and as we run our race, be encouraged. And may the testimony that Paul gives of himself ring true of each of us as well. 2 Timothy 4.7 I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. All my training in 2011 was focused on my physical well-being. And there's nothing wrong with that. As side benefits of my fitness, I was mentally sharper and emotionally more balanced. It didn't, however, add anything really to my spirituality or my character, which is a problem. If my primary focus is my physical well-being, then as Paul said, I'm already disqualified. As a disciple, as a disciplined one, our focus should be our spiritual well-being, and that will inform our character as well as our emotional, mental, and physical well-being. It is our focus that is important. And I know I have some work to do with this physical well-being, and my spirituality is already working with me in that area this year. My friend went on to say about laurels, 
Every crown given at the games were temporary. There was only one permanent crown, not made of celery leaves, but of gold. One golden wreath crown. It was worn by Caesar, the king of the Roman Empire. Now, our King Jesus is more worthy of our lives than Caesar was of the lives of his whole realm, of the then known world. May the way we live our lives, the way we love on the people of God, our neighborhood and our nation, and all creation reflect his glory. And to his glory, yield for us the prize. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air, no. I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Amen. Thanks again for joining with us today. If you'd like to know more information on the church or reach out to one of the pastors, please visit our website www.gebc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day.